Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome. Welcome to the weekend edition of Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Uh, this is a weekly recap of the fire starters uh, we set uh, last week, and they were tremendous. On Monday, we started out talking about HBO's House of Dragon and how it's just another Hollywood version of men are scum, the world would be better if women were in control, I go off on everything about House of Dragons, although I kind of like the show and I will be watching this week, but here's my week one critique. Unlike its predecessor, HBO's House of the Dragon, the much anticipated prequel to Game of Thrones, does not conceal its feminist grooming agenda. Within the first 15 minutes of, of its Sunday debut, House of the Dragon revealed its conceit. Man's subjugation and oppression of women began thousands of years ago and extended all the way to the fantasy worlds. Like any decent, devout atheist, American novelist George R.R. Martin, the author of the books that inspired Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon, believes the life, fate, and man dealt women an awful hand. House of the Dragons begins with its female narrator, Renaria Targaryen, explaining her father's rise to ruler of the realm as a triumph of sexism over birthright. King Viserys, the George W. Bush of Westeros, was appointed king over his more qualified female cousin, Rhaenys Targaryen, the Hillary Clinton of Westeros. Rhaenys is finally referred to as the queen who never was. Shortly after that explanation, 15-year-old Renaria Targaryen flies into camera view on the back of a dragon sailing between the clouds. She lands back at King's Landing, dismounts, and greets her more feminine and commonly best friend, Alicent Hightower. The sexual tension between the two is subtle but obvious. From there, Renaria visits her bedridden and pregnant mother, Queen Annie Emma. Renaria complains that the gaggle of midwives focus on the child in the womb, not her swollen mother. Queen Annie Emma tells her daughter, babies are how we serve the realm. Renaria retorts, I'd rather serve as a knight and ride to battle and glory. Renaria identifies as a man, she's trans, or maybe she's just a lesbian. While picnicking outside, head planted in Allison's lap, Renaria confesses, I wanna fly with you on Dragonback, see the great wonders across the narrow sea, and eat only cake. The first episode of The House of the Dragon is drag queen story hour for feminist groomers. There's little reason to expect the show to pivot. Game of Thrones waited five seasons before swallowing narrative blockers and transitioning away from Tyrion Lannister as the underdog hero to Arya Stark 
as Baby Wonder Woman and Night King Assassin. House of the Dragon shows no such patience. It dials the calendar back 172 years to unearth the original sins that doomed King's Landing, Westeros, the Seven Kingdoms, and the Realm. Hollywood is determined to convince young people that all evil is rooted in male leadership, the patriarchy, and that America must be remade to protect the world. Only women can save the world from the tribalism and brutality of men. Winter is coming. Remember the clever Game of Thrones allegory about the perils of ignoring climate change? House of the Dragon doubles down on the parable when King Viserys warns his daughter about the White Walkers. George R.R. Martin, the Northwestern J School grad, rejects American exceptionalism and the success of the American experiment. The dragons are a stand-in for American military might. King Viserys explained to his daughter that the Targaryens' hold on power is based on the myth that they can control the dragons. The unstated truth is the dragons control the Targaryens just as the military-industrial complex controls America. House of the Dragons' harshest rebuke is saved for motherhood. The show portrays childbirth as a burden, not a blessing. Queen Annie Emma dies a painful, brutal, and pointless death giving birth to King Viserys' male heir. The baby dies hours later. King Viserys chose a delivery procedure that sentenced his wife to death but gave his male son the best chance of survival. House of the Dragon is pro-choice. The critics obviously loved it. The Los Angeles Times reviewer wrote, <clears throat> the exchange between mother and daughter and the artful contrast of dueling knights and dutiful midwives are powerful enough on their own to render the first episode a smashing success and show that the House of the Dragon has a depth of understanding of its female characters that Game of Thrones took years to find. But it doesn't stop there. In a moment that reflects some of the ugly realities of our own world, it is men who ultimately decide the queen's fate, choosing the baby's life over hers. Mm. Uh, the New York Times reviewer, well, he gushed or she gushed, I don't know who it was. They gushed, them gushed. <laughs> As an exploration of the social contract in a decadent monarchy and an allegory for a grab bag of modern ills, including patriarchal sexism and the corrosive effect of weapons of mass destruction, House of the Dragon is reasonably smart and well put together. The anger of Renaria and other female characters at the practical and sometimes violently physical price they pay for being a woman is presented in believable and often moving ways. The overriding theme of royal secession is illustrated with three agonizing scenes of childbirth in just six episodes. We're being groomed. That's the point of all modern art and entertainment. Men are scum. We're the root of all evil. It's the antithesis of a biblical worldview. The Bible says Eve listened to Satan, ate from the forbidden tree, and fed it to Adam. Popular culture argues man is the serpent in the garden. He and his ways are to be avoided. Men, believers and non-believers, are selling this message. George R.R. Martin is no lone wolf. He has an army of male collaborators. They litter the political conversation. 
However, Martin's most effective co-conspirators speak from Christian pulpits. They preach an egalitarian gospel. They've made themselves idols. They're unwilling to model the behavior of confession and repentance that leads to salvation. They've surrendered to popular culture. Fear of the discovery of their sins has emasculated and silenced them. They're biblical eunuchs. House of the Dragon is the latest choir to sing the praises of a secular, global world order led by women in pantsuits. This will be Hillary Clinton's favorite television show. Mm. On Tuesday, things really heated up. Dave Portnoy uh, picked a fight with my guy Alex Stein. You guys know primetime 99, always on the grind. Dave Portnoy, the Barstool founder, went after primetime. And so I went after Dave Portnoy. Take a listen. Uh, Dave Portnoy and Andrew Tate are the Al Capone and Lucky Luciano of masculinity prohibition. Portnoy and Tate bootleg moonshine masculinity across the internet. Their wealth and fame are byproducts of America's misguided masculinity temperance movement. We're living in the third wave of masculinity prohibition. Each wave popularizes and enriches a new breed of masculinity bootleggers. Portnoy, the founder of Barstool Sports, and Tate, a kickboxing champion turned TikTok influencer, are the latest undeserving benefactors of an unholy mission Democrats and feminists devised 60 years ago to demonize manhood. Portnoy built a sports media empire pretending to be a fearless ESPN disruptor standing against the wokeification of sports and American culture. It's now clear he's a total fraud and sellout. His lone interest are money and access to barely legal young women. He sold Barstool to a gambling company for hundreds of millions of dollars, and now Barstool is every bit as woke as ESPN. Monday night, Portnoy engaged in a Twitter beef with comedian Alex Stein, a truly fearless internet disruptor. Stein, a contributor for The Blaze, mocks local and national politicians of all political parties with viral videos. Barstool's Twitter feed posted a hilarious video of Stein trolling members of the Las Vegas City Council. Let's take a look. Wait, excuse me. You said your name was Alex Stein? Yes. Okay, thank you. What I'm saying is these casinos give people free drinks, and then they become vulnerable, and then end up gambling more money than they have. Yeah. And I was a victim of that, and I lost a lot of money. And I'm facing a lot of issues right now. My wife's boyfriend recently got her pregnant, and I'm here for a church event um, speaking. for I'm a member of the Church of Scientology, and I don't normally drink. But I'm very vulnerable. I'm in a position now where I don't know what I'm going to do because financially I'm going to have to take care of this baby Potentially because he's out on parole right now and he has an upcoming case where he could be facing a long time in jail. So potentially I'm going to have to financially support this baby and I come to Las Vegas for a work event and I get fed alcohol and I get entirely way too intoxicated. I go to the ATM, I use my credit card, they make it very accessible to be able to gamble with my credit card. You know this, Mary Goodman. They make it absolutely incredibly accessible, Councilman, to be able to take all I have. And now I got to go back to Clearwater, Florida, and I have nothing. So after this, after I start drinking, I'm, 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 
I'm very, I'm very distraught. And the one good thing about this city, I will say, the one good thing is, I, of all the cities I've been to, it's the first city last night at 4 a.m. I saw multiple people on Fremont Street taking the vaccine. That's the only place I've seen a 24-7 vaccine uh, operation in the United States of America. And that's here in Las Vegas. I saw lots of people on Fremont Street doing the vaccine. And I, I want to commend you the one thing. But the vulnerability of the tourists that come here, like myself, it, you're preying on people like me. And then I end up meeting a nice Filipino girl. I take her back to my hotel room, come to find out I, I cost money for her service to come to my room. Mary Goodman. I, I, I end up having a, a good time. We start kissing. We take off her clothes. She has, a, she has male genitalia. She's a transgender. Mary Goodman. Excuse me. This, we're in a public venue, and I think. Please, could you, please, excuse me. Could you please be calm and whatever? You guys are preying on me, Mayor. You know, when I'm out there, I'm vulnerable, and now I have please. a male you with breasts. It's very confusing. How can we track that? Excuse me. Excuse me. I think unless you have an issue that we can address. That's why we call him Primetime 99, on the grind, all the time, always shining, <laughs> always grinding. Oh my God. Uh, that's Alex Stein for you. Uh, within hours, Barstool deleted the post. Stein, within minutes, called out Barstool's cowardice, tweeting, it's so cute that Barstool Sports is owned by El Presidente, or school stool president day who is accused of the most heinous heinous things but they are too afraid to keep my content content up uh, portnoy struck his tough guy pose responding buddy shut the f up we are owned by a gambling company we've had roughly 9000 training sessions not to, not to post shit like this cuz regulators don't like it go back to whatever hole you crawled out of That's Dave Portnoy, tough guy, fake tough guy, poser. Because via DM, Portnoy offered to have Stein on a podcast, but it quickly changed his mind and changed course and backed off. Dave Portnoy is a fraud. He has no core values, no defined set of beliefs. He has no redeeming qualities other than his wealth. Remove his money and he wouldn't have a friend in this world. If we weren't living in an era completely hostile to masculinity, Portnoy would be broke in Boston delivering pizza. The prohibition of masculinity is what made heroes and millionaires of men like Portnoy and Andrew Tate. Tate is a former contestant on the TV show Big Brother. He started something called Hustlers University on TikTok, posting relationship and life advice to young men. He's basically the pornographic version of Kevin Samuels, the now deceased popular relationship YouTuber. Masculinity is like air and water. We need it for survival. The world was built by male energy. Thank God Jesus was masculine. Thank God men were willing to die in the Revolutionary War, the Civil War, the World Wars, for our freedom. The demonization of masculinity has caused a shortage of it and inflated the value of it. The shortage has created a market for imposters and moonshiners. If ESPN wasn't hostile to masculinity, if all their guys weren't on TV crying and shedding tears about somebody uh, having big lips, 
there would never have been a market for Portnoy's brand of masculine sports talk. The out of control, believe all women, Me Too movement created the market for Andrew Tate. Alcohol prohibition was bad. Alcohol isn't a necessity. Masculinity is. The ramifications for the prohibition of masculinity are far worse than the repealed 18th Amendment. We've lowered the standard and behavior for manhood so low that idiots believe puberty blockers and surgery can make men. We're so desperate, we'll now accept any form of masculinity. It can be profane, stupid, obscene, criminal, and godless. Let me walk you through a brief history on how we arrived at this level of insanity. The masculinity temperance movement started in earnest in the 1960s, shortly after it became obvious Reverend Martin Luther King Jr.'s civil rights movement would deliver black people full American citizenship. In reaction, feminists partnered with President Lyndon Johnson's Great Society Initiative to emasculate men. White men failed to strongly object to this diabolical partnership because they mistakenly believed feminists and Democrats planned to only castrate black men. The first wave of this prohibition primarily damaged black men, particularly black men of faith. The first wave spawned celebrity poverty pimps such as Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton, the Millie Vanilli of civil rights. They pretended to be fearless freedom fighters while doing the bidding of feminist Democrats and the LGBT crowd. The second wave of this prohibition, prohibition popularized gangster rappers. Tupac Shakur, Snoop Dogg, Jay-Z, and NWA pretended to speak truth to power while promoting degeneracy, criminality, drug use, materialism, and hedonism. The third wave has brought us Portnoy and Tate, internet bullies posing as masculine men. Their success has spawned imitators. The next iteration will be even worse. Uh... They Portnoy screwed up. He came at your boy, called me fat, said that I was choking on his tiny little you-know-what. Uh, <laughs> and so I fired back. Dave swam into the deep end of the pool, and like the shark that I am, I drowned him. Take a listen. Narcissism, cocaine, insecurity, and shallowness prevent Dave Portnoy from acknowledging his betrayal. He's betting the legion of followers he's developed while building the Barstool Sports Empire exist in a similar character flaw haze and will fail to recognize their leader is Benedict Arnold. Tuesday night, in response to his Twitter beef with comedian Alex Stein and my column painting him as a fraud, Portnoy cast himself as a victim of a courageous and humorous attempt to challenge the political establishment. Via Twitter, Portnoy released a sarcastic letter arguing that his rejection of the political right and political left made him a target of political extremists. Writing, quote, yet does Portnoy yield? Ha! He stands strong against the constant unfair attacks while everyone else whines and screams, David, the last true American Portnoy, helps small businesses, 
fights the corrupt suits of Wall Street and runs a billion dollar company that he built brick by brick. That's sarcasm, he's being funny, uh, but you know, all humor is based in a kernel of truth and self-belief. Uh, so hats off to Portnoy for building Barstool and raising money to assist small businesses hurt by the COVID lockdown. Benedict Arnold was an American war hero before joining the British. Plus, it's farcical for Portnoy to suggest he's the enemy of the political establishment. It's the equivalent of me arguing that Ronald McDonald and Burger King hatched an assassination plot to take my life and recover my buy one, get one free coupons. It makes no sense. Dave, if you're gonna do fat jokes, do jokes funnier than the fat jokes I crack on myself. You're supposed to be the guy running a humor blog or website or sports media empire. You're supposed to be the funny guy. Dave Portnoy surrendered to the establishment in 2020 when gambling conglomerate Penn National bought a 50% stake in Barstool. Portnoy has never publicly acknowledged his capitulation, but smart observers see it in his actions and the tonal shift of Barstool's content. Stevie Wonder could see the submission when he heard Portnoy's Roe v. Wade emergency press conference. And, and let me stop you right here. Don't jump to the conclusion that Portnoy's pro-choice stance pissed me off. Dave Portnoy has never pretended to have a moral compass. I was in no way surprised that a super wealthy, middle-aged frat boy with a sweet tooth for barely legal women would be pro-choice. I'm not calling Portnoy the white R. Kelly, but I bet Portnoy knows every word to Key Sweat's right in a wrong way. You may be young, but you're ready, ready to learn. You're not a little girl, you're a woman. That's probably the song Portnoy plays as he seduces young college girls in Nantucket. My point is, Portnoy has never hidden his rejection of responsibility. Irresponsible men value abortion access as much as hardcore feminists. A condom is a responsibility bridge too far for drunken, high 45-year-olds reenacting the movie Animal House. Portnoy's pro-choice stance makes absolute sense. It was his pro-choice argument that stamped him a traitor. Portnoy denigrated the Constitution. He argued for the rewriting of the Constitution. Let's take a listen to an excerpt from his emergency press conference the day Roe v. Wade was overturned. At what point do you look at the Constitution and say, hey, this was written by people who had slaves. Maybe not everything is exactly to a T in the Constitution. Like a million years from now, you're gonna use a document written in the, it's just nuts. In what world? The world evolves, people evolve, technology evolves. You gotta evolve. You can't stick with this document and look at that and be like, that's the end all be all. It, it, it's literally crazy pills. It is coming from somebody who consistently is like, the US is the best country in the world by a mile. I still believe it, but we're going backwards. And the left and the right suck so bad. Like the left 
hates me. The, the woke left, the liberals, they're crazy. They're insane people. Yet, I end up having to vote for a moron like Biden because the right is going to put Supreme Court people in who are just ruining this country and taking basic rights away. I honestly believe 95% of the people in the country think like me. They're like, they're liberally, they're, they're socially liberal and they're financially conservative. They like 90% of what Republicans, they don't like the woke culture, all this craziness. But then you look at what they're doing and it's like you're taking away basic rights. What's next? Same-sex marriage? Like, what is next? It's insane. That's why we have to vote for the morons like Biden, who's borderline incompetent, because it's too dangerous to vote Republican. Like, what the f*** are we doing? Wake up. So that there is the betrayal. Let me break it down for you. There's two different things he said here. 95% of the country, in his view, is... uh, socially immoral, he called it liberal, but basically he's just talking about, hey, 95% of the country's just like me, we're sex junkies, we're all out just chasing young tail, we wanna have irresponsible sex without consequence, we, we want to have unprotected sex with as many women as possible, and then we wanna cut a check and make the baby go away. That's 95% of America. So we're socially liberal and or immoral. And then economically, we all want to be rich, and so we're conservatives. That's his argument, that that's what 95% of the country thinks and believes. And look, you've listened to me on this show, you know that uh, sexual morality has never been my strong suit. But I've never, never, tried to pretend like my sexual immorality is normal, acceptable, appropriate, the right thing to do. I've never dressed it up. It's like, oh, 95% of the country is right there with me. Oh, I'm just a normal person. I can't control myself. I have no discipline. I have no moral character. I have no integrity. I have no values. That's 95% of the country. And then there's the other 5% of me that wants to be rich so I can be sexually immoral. But the real betrayal is, is his repeating of what global elites think and do. They acquire generational wealth, join the elite, and then become comfortable with tinkering with the system that allowed their rise. The freedoms guaranteed and the system installed by the ratification of the U.S. Constitution allowed Dave Portnoy to become a powerful multimillionaire. The system that worked perfectly for Portnoy gave individual states the responsibility of determining laws such as abortion. The Constitution, the U.S. Constitution, took and takes no position on abortion. It did not take one because it wasn't even an issue in the 1700s. No one questioned the value of life in the 1700s. I know we all like to get on this high chair and we have all evolved to this place where we're so superior to the men and women of the 1700s. Oh my God, those people, 
own slaves. They're the worst people on the planet. Those people valued life. That's just a fact, and we don't. We think life is decided by some mother whenever she decides. We think life has no value if it's inconvenient to us. I'm not remotely justifying slavery, but I'm sorry. There are worse sins. There are worse atrocities. The devaluing of life, the murder of children, of babies in the womb. I'll argue with anybody it's worse than slavery. And so this moral superiority we think we have over the people in the 1700s who participated in a global phenomenon, a global phenomenon. Many of the black slaves, many of my ancestors, I'm a descendant of slaves. If you go look at the real history, other people who look like me sold me into slavery. Don't buy, don't buy this uh, retelling of history that's told, that's told in movies, like the movie that's gonna come out in September, The Woman King, and oh my God, these white people came to Africa and they just, they conquered us and took our people away. We were selling them. We were black people, Africans. The slave trade, that was us. They came there because we were selling our own. It was a global phenomenon. And to zero in on a special segment of people in America. And oh, these, these guys were the worst. They were worse than everybody else across the globe. It's garbage, it's BS. It's the excuse they're using to rewrite our Constitution and take away a system that has served us all well. Babies were a blessing back then. The self-described last true American is so foolish and self-absorbed and stupid that he has no clue that he's constructing an argument that assists America's Marxist enemies in the overthrow of our system. His Tuesday night letter opens by complaining that America is falling apart. He wrote, our country is falling apart. It seems that every day we are at each other's throats, screaming our opinions into our own personal echo chambers, looking for validation that we're right and ignoring anyone who says we're wrong. Yeah, Dave Portnoy, the comedic voice standing in the middle, trying to bring us all together. It's too stupid to realize the country is falling apart because elites like him reject the legitimacy of the Constitution. See, when you start rejecting founding documents, it's a slippery slope. And again, I'm not going to apply my values, my biblical worldview to, to Dave Portnoy. But I can see the through line when you start, oh, these founding documents, they're outdated. They're no good. Oh, don't you know the people 
that wrote these founding documents, they were flawed. They participated in slavery. They did nothing about slavery. They're flawed. Do we think? Jesus did not write the Bible. Flawed men did. And so when you're willing to throw out founding documents, it's very, well, let's throw out this document, the Constitution. And you know what? The Bible that the, found, that the Constitution was based on, let's throw that out too. Because that's the real goal and agenda. The Constitution is just the appetizer. The real meal is the Bible. That is our true foundational document. You know why you believe today is Wednesday? Because the Bible told you so. You know why you believe today is August 24th, I believe? Yeah. The Bible told you so. It set the calendar. It is our foundational document. And that's what's up next. When they're done with the appetizer of the U.S. Constitution, Dave Portnoy and all these other global elitists who have all the money that they think they'll ever need and could ever spend, their next attack, and it's already in play, is the Bible. Because that's why they hate the U.S. Constitution, because it's based on the Bible. But Dave Portnoy is... Like, I, I don't know for sure, but likely an atheist. Certainly acts like one. But again, he's trying to portray himself as the last true American. The dude doesn't believe in the Constitution, but he's the last true American trying to bring us all together. Stop it. Portnoy sounds like a soldier in the BLM, LGBTQ, Alphabet Mafia. Did you not hear him scream? What's that? They're gonna attack same-sex marriage! <laughs> Do you not, you can see the through line. Who's against same-sex marriage? God, Jesus, the Bible. Th th this is what this is all about. This dude's a sellout. He wants to disrupt the U.S. Constitution. He sold out because the Alphabet Mafia controls the purse strings he needs to make Barstool even bigger. He wants to be a billionaire. In his mind, that's worth selling out for. On Monday night, he bragged to Alex Stein about sleeping comfortably on $500 million. He justified taking down Stein's Las Vegas City Council video because he'd rather have oceanfront mansions than post content that upsets his corporate overlords. Dave Portnoy is a sellout. He has no interest in bringing people together. His interests are in lining his pockets. I'd have no problem if he'd just admit it. He's white LeBron James. It's great Portnoy raised money for small businesses. It's great LeBron spent a million dollars on a school in Akron. It's good marketing. It's terrific public relations. It creates the appearance that Portnoy and James haven't forgotten about the little guy. Best thing you can do to support the working man and woman, the little guy, is defend the Constitution. The document isn't remotely outdated. It created the freedom and opportunity that we all benefit from 200 years after its ratification. The political establishment, both Republicans and Democrats, 
want a new constitution that allows America to submit to the new world order led by China. China is run by communists, it's Marxist, it's hostile to religious faith. That's the new world order that they're planning. They have to bring America down, its constitution down, to get to its ultimate end game. They don't want countries, societies, neighborhoods, communities based on a biblical worldview. There's a process to getting there. The Constitution is part of that process, destroying it, undermining it, making you think, oh God, the Constitution is the worst thing in the planet. The people that wrote it, they were sinful. They committed sins. They, they had slaves. But baby murderers, all, the whole pro-abortion crowd, they're the smartest people, most high integrity people on the planet, in the history of the planet, in the history of the world. They can write a document that will lead to all this freedom and opportunity that we enjoy here in America. They can do it. It's the atheists. They're the ones that can save America. The globalists, the elites, they're the ones who can save America. They can save the world. Don't you see it? Can't you get it? Thankfully, many of you aren't that dumb. The last true Americans aren't so drunk, high, stupid, and self-absorbed that they can't see the phony patriots selling us out. We see you, Dave. We see you clear as day. You're a sellout. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Uh, Thursday, we kept it moving. I reflected on John Singleton's 2001 film, Baby Boy which in retrospect looks like a documentary. I connected it to uh, Kevin Durant's problems in Brooklyn, LeBron James's problems in general, and Nick Cannon's lack of discipline with his penis. Uh, take a listen to my take on Baby Boy. Kevin Durant, the NBA star, the Brooklyn net, who tried to force his way out of Brooklyn. Now he's walked it back and doesn't, is going to stay in Brooklyn. So he and Kyrie Irving and Ben Simmons and Steve Nash are all going to get to play and coach together and try to win a championship together. It's a hot mess. And Kevin Durant's reputation is a hot mess right now. The other thing that's been on my mind is Nick Cannon, the actor, comedian, rapper, singer, movie, wh whatever Nick Cannon is. Reality TV show person, I think. Uh, Anyway, Nick Cannon, I can't figure it out based on the internet. He either fathered his ninth or 10th baby is on the way. And there are reports that there are other two or three other kids, perhaps. And he could be up to a dozen uh, by the end of the year. And so 
I was combining and thinking about Kevin Durant and what's going on with him and his reputation and, and why a guy with next generation talent, as much talent as anyone that's ever entered into the NBA, has done so much damage to his reputation. Uh, Kevin Durant, to me, one of the most likable NBA stars in recent years. I prefer him to LeBron James, but he has really, really damaged his reputation. Doesn't look like much of a competitor. Looks kind of wishy-washy and weak. Uh, And so I want to unpack how that connects to Nick Cannon and Nick Cannon having nine or ten kids and five or six baby mamas and and anybody with a brain anybody that follows me knows where i'm going with this in terms of this matriarchal culture uh that we have ruling black america and is and the matriarchal culture that's trying to be imposed on the rest of american culture it's in black culture running wild and running rampant, this whole baby mama, women are the leaders, women are gods. They got some movie coming out called The Woman King, some kind of, it's supposed to be based on true events. It's a joke. It's not based on any true events. It's just selling this whole deal that uh, black women are the leaders of uh, the black race and they're warriors and they fought off the front. It's all a joke. It's all... And I'm going to get into that. That movie uh, debuts September 16th, I believe, or premieres September 16th. And we'll talk about that before the movie. But anyway, it's all about this matriarchal culture. And so uh, this morning, in just thinking about where we're at, Nick Cannon, Kevin Durant, how did we get here? Why are black men so seemingly emotional, soft, wishy-washy? Uh, weak. Uh, And these are all facts. I'm just sorry. These are all facts. What's happened? The emasculation of the black man has been incredible and devastating. And so thinking about that and thinking about how irresponsible Nick Cannon is and so many and this whole acceptance of baby mama culture, it made me think of the movie Baby Boy. Uh, This movie was released in early 2000, 2000, 2001, something like that. Uh, Tyrese Gibson, I think, was the star. Snoop Dogg was in the movie. John Singleton, the director who uh, made Boys in the Hood, uh, created this movie. This was, I think he did Boys in the Hood first, then he did Poetic Justice, and then he did Baby Boy. This was the third of what he called a trilogy. And so I went back and rewatched the movie this morning and I was so fascinated by the opening of the movie and and just how it went directly at this issue that we're not, you know, two decades later, we're not allowed to talk about it, but they were making movies about it in 2000. 20 some odd years ago, they were making popular movies and people were writing think pieces. I read a think piece published in 2001 from Leonard Pitts, the Florida uh, national columnist that's won a Pulitzer Prize, respected guy. What he wrote in 2000 about the movie Baby Boy, fascinating. But so I want to start here with, I think, the first 90 seconds or so 
of the movie Baby Boy when they go directly at the problem that is pervasive throughout our community. That's a full-grown black man in the There's womb. There's this psychiatrist, a lady named Dr. Frances Cress Welsing. She has a theory about the black man in America. She says that because of the system of racism, the black man in this country has been made to think of himself as a baby, a not yet fully formed being who has not realized his full potential. To support her claim, she offers the following. First off, what does a black man call his woman? Mama. Secondly, what does a black man call his closest acquaintances? His boys. And finally, what does a black man call his place of residence? The crib. So this movie comes out 21, 22 years ago. And, and, and so we're looking at the generation of kids and young people. Uh, there were 10, 12-year-old, 13-year-old boys that watched this movie that were living during this time frame, depicted, and, and what this culture and this mindset. And again, I don't like the whole because of a system of racism, uh, black men think of themselves as babies or they never come out of this baby cocoon. And again, this whole thing. And this is what I loved about Leonard Pitts's column back in 2000. He completely rejected this notion that, oh, yeah, it's the white man's fault that the black man sees himself as a baby. Really? It's the white man's fault that the black man sees himself as a baby. How about it being the black man and the black woman's fault that the black man sees himself as a baby? How about his parents? How about they did that? How about this matriarchal culture that we have embraced and bought into and that the whole welfare system and the entire uh, system of governance creates? How about, I'm going to tie this in, and I, I wasn't really planning to go here, but I'm, I'm going to tie this into the news event from yesterday about uh, the student debt uh, relief that Joe Biden uh, is offering up Americans. Our whole system over the last 60 years has been set up to reward irresponsible behavior. Oh, you took out a bunch of loans and can't pay them back. You, 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 you're in so much debt and you can't pay it back. Oh, we, we got some relief for you. We're not going to reward the people who work their way through college. 
We're not going to reward the people who paid off their student loan debts. We're not going to reward the parents who save money and made all kinds of sacrifices so their kids could go to college. We're going to reward those of you that took out a bunch of loans, can't repay them, and we're going to offer you a kickback of ten to twenty thousand dollars. That's America. We keep rewarding irresponsible behavior. Oh, you can't close your legs. You can't uh, make a man put a condom on. You can't take birth control pills. Oh, we got a government check that will replace the father. Oh, again, same thing. Can't make the man wear a condom, can't use contraceptives, can't keep your clothes, your legs closed. Oh, we got a uh, Planned Parenthood clinic that'll snatch and crush that baby in the womb for you so that you don't have to deal uh, with your irresponsible behavior. Everything we're doing in America is about rewarding irresponsible behavior or reducing the effects of irresponsible behavior. We want you to be as irresponsible as possible. And so now in the uh, black community where these rewards are most acute for irresponsible behavior, we have young men like a Nick Cannon having kids out of wedlock like he's changing underwear and we're all sitting around laughing about it. We're not la- he sh- this guy should be a laughing stock and should be embarrassed to come out of his house. His reputation should be so damaged and he should be unhirable in Hollywood and any place else. But then like when you dig deeper into uh, like John Singleton, even who's passed away, God rest his soul, RP, rest in peace. But John Singleton, who made the movie Baby Boy, seven kids, five baby mamas. Again, the people that are given opportunities from our biggest corporations, the biggest controllers of popular culture, reward the irresponsible. If you have all kinds of baggage from your irresponsible behavior, that's who our system of elites reward. They want more of that, and we're getting more of that. And we're getting more emasculated men raised by their mothers. It's, again, <laughs> rewatching Baby Boy, it's all in the movie. This, he's like 20 years old, His mama appears to be around 36 years old. He's got uh, Jody, the Tyrese Gibson's character, uh, has two different baby mamas at age 20 and he bounces between each of their houses. He lives at home with his mother. His mother has a just out of prison uh, boyfriend who she's moved into her house. And this whole, the, the thing about baby boy is it has some sort of somewhat happy ending. Jody, the Tyrese Gibson character, moves in with his main girlfriend and and seems to be 
making a decent living. His mother settles in with Ving Rhames, her, her uh, live-in boyfriend, and his best friend turns to Jesus and gets his life together. It, it, baby boy has a happy ending on a movie screen. In real life, it does not have a happy ending. And that's how someone like Kevin Durant, one of the most talented, likable guys uh, in NBA history, a good person. I don't want anybody to sound like I'm denigrating Kevin Durant. I think he's a good person, but he's a mama's boy. You see his mama at all the games. He's a part. He's been raised in this matriarchal culture. His dad's around, but his dad doesn't have near the influence, wasn't as instrumental in his life as best we can tell from all the reporting that we've seen over the course of his 10, 15 year NBA career. He's a mama's boy. And so at age 34, Kevin Durant uh, is sitting there in Brooklyn, wanted a new team, uh, has damaged his reputation, looks like a, a, a clout chaser, a title chaser, a ring chaser, someone that doesn't have the competitive fire to build his own team. He left Oklahoma City to go play for the Golden State Warriors after they beat him. And he, you know, joined, started this or started a super team and got two little cheap rings and, and now not satisfied. Uh, with what that did for his reputation. He goes to Brooklyn and he and Kyrie are going to set the world and he's going to prove he can lead a team to a championship. That hasn't gone well. And so this summer he asked out when, when he asked out and no one's willing to give up what he's worth because he has so damaged his reputation and the perception of him that no one's willing to offer a blockbuster trade to Brooklyn. And so he now has to go back and settle for playing for the Brooklyn Nets. This is all mama's boy. Again, the difference between Michael Jordan and this era of NBA superstars, Kevin Durant, LeBron James had a great career. But even he, you could sit here and say, he, ain't, he didn't reach his potential. And he's damaged his reputation, jumping from team to team, chasing titles, all his little woke BS. It's all because no daddy. They're all baby boys. They've all been raised in a matriarchal culture. And you can see it in these major superstars from Kevin Durant to LeBron James to Nick Cannon. You can see the damage of this matriarchal baby mama culture and no one wants to do anything about it. You got people from Black Lives Matter uh, sitting around saying, hey, we need to disrupt the nuclear family. And black people going for this BS and corporate America supporting this BS, disrupting the nuclear family. What they've done is drop a nuclear bomb on the nuclear family, and that, that bomb landed in black urban communities all over America the last 60 years. And look at the damage it's done. And people want to run around and act, oh, I can't see it. And, oh, no, it's, it's, it's white racism. And it doesn't matter whether you have a daddy in the home or even if you don't have a daddy in the home, it's because the white man took him out of your home. That's all BS. We all, there was, Far worse racism in the 1920s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 
and black men were still in the home. Black men were still there for their kids. It's a joke. This whole baby boy generation of athletes and black men are weak and are failing. And there's only one solution, a return to the nuclear family structure. At some point, I, I, I get there like, are we too late? Is it even salvageable? Have we gone so far that someone like Nick Cannon can be this big of an idiot and still be held up as an icon and an influencer and a celebrity? This guy should, I'm t he should be afraid to come out of his house because the laughter at him would be too loud and too hard. But there's no consequences. And that's why he keeps knocking up women. And that's why women keep allowing him to knock him up because they think money is a replacement for a father. It is not. We wrap things up on Friday with what I believe. And again, we had an awesome week. I mean, I torched Dave Portnoy, but we wrap things up on Friday. I thought as strong as we have ever been. Uh, on this whole COVID vaccine and who all's owed an apology. Kyrie Irving's owed an apology. Aaron Rodgers is owed an apology. Cole Beasley's owed an apology. And I called out the people that owe them apologies. Stephen A. Smith, Michael Wilbon, Mina Kimes, Ryan Clark, all of them. I brought the smoke on Friday. Steve Dace helped me out too, but uh, take a listen. I want to go back. I want to continue a conversation we started yesterday with Royce White. And I, I, I wanted Steve to give us a foundation to talk about the vaccines and COVID and all of that, because he is the authority. He's written the Fauci and Bargain. Now he and uh, Daniel Horowitz have a second book coming out about this whole COVID pandemic and how it's been mishandled. Steve Dace is the ultimate authority. He's given us a great foundation to look at and discuss how I want to discuss this COVID issue and why I believe apologies, major apologies in the sports world and the media space, media space are owed to Kyrie Irving and Aaron Rodgers. I said this yesterday when talking to Royce White. Kyrie Irving at the time, I wrote, I talked about on this show, Kyrie Irving, uh, basically his move, his willingness to sacrifice money and to sit out the NBA season over the vaccine mandate. I said it at the time, and I definitely believe it now. This was the closest thing we've seen from an athlete resembling Muhammad Ali. Close, and people laughed at me. How can you compare him to Muhammad Ali? That's crazy, blah, blah, blah. Because you were all had your heads completely up the rear end of the establishment and Big Pharma and all the people lying to you. And now look where we are right now in 2022. Who was right? Who was wrong? Was Muhammad Ali, according to all the historians and everybody, was he right about the Vietnam War? Was Kyrie Irving right about the vaccine? And why aren't people lining up to give Kyrie Irving an apology. Same people need to line up and give Aaron Rodgers, the Green Bay Packers quarterback, an apology. 
Aaron Rodgers. And I don't care that he was misleading or whatever. He was dead right. The guy went on the Pat McAfee show and explained to everybody why he didn't want to take the vaccine. And hats off to him. Hats off to Kyrie Irving and the people that are not standing up and acknowledging that they were dead wrong and that they misled people. They were the any appropriate people. They're cowards. And again, about to start calling them out. Don't hate these people. I don't hate these people. I'm just dealing with the facts. Many of them I like and respect, but I'm going to deal with the facts and ask, why aren't these people offering up apologies to Kyrie Irving and Aaron Rodgers? Let's start with, and again, I don't have, even though I'm critical of him, I don't have great animus towards Stephen A. Smith. I don't have great animus towards Stephen A. Smith. I have animus towards this environment, this culture we've created, where all of these people are towing the establishment, globalist, uh, groupthink lie and carrying water for all of us. So we're going to start with a fat clip of Stephen A. Smith going after Kyrie Irving over his vaccine stance. Let's play the clip. Should our position on Kyrie change? Yes, it should change in regards to Kyrie. Um, it should be even worse than we originally imagined. You know, I have to be and I try to be uh, incredibly careful, fellas, uh, in terms of I try to focus on what you do, not who you are. People make mistakes. None of us are flawless. All of us have made mistakes. We'll continue to make mistakes. None of us are perfect. We get all of that. But I've been covering the NBA now for almost 25 years. I mean, this is some of the stupidest nonsense I've ever seen. Just flat out stupid. So let me get this straight. So if the reports are true, because we don't know whether they are or not. OK, but let's give credit to Sham and others who have reported this. Mm -hmm. It is what it is. Let's go with that. OK, if it is true, Jay, if it is true, Marcus. So you don't have a problem with taking the vaccine. Your position is that you're going to sit up there and compromise the championship aspirations of an organization you signed on to represent. You coaxed Kevin Durant in the signing on to represent. You coaxed, you played a role in coaxing James Harden into signing on to represent. You're going to compromise all of that because you want to give a voice to the voiceless. Really? And how is that going to work out for you, Kyrie Irving? You're going to disappear from the game of basketball. Who the hell is going to be interested in what you have to say when you have proven that you can't even be trusted enough to do your damn job? A job you volunteered for. This ain't the military where you were drafted. You chose to play basketball. You chose to enter the NBA. You chose to sign that contract as a free agent to go to the Brooklyn Nets. You chose Brooklyn as your destination. You chose the Nets franchise to represent. You asked KD and James Harden to come on board with you in Brooklyn to establish your own legacy. And then you leave them hanging. Because of what exactly? your own individual principle. I am not calling Kyrie Irving stupid. Kyrie Irving, I happen to believe, 
is an intelligent brother Mm -hmm. whose heart is in the right place. But now you've regressed to an alarming level of self-righteousness. It not only makes you look hypocritical and untrustworthy, it makes you look what I know you are not, which is flat out stupid. It's the stupidest thing that I think I've encountered with NBA players. You're going to sit up there and not play and not take a vaccine that uh, evidently it's not you. You don't have a problem with it, according to the reports. You just want to give a voice to the voiceless. So Kyrie is the stupid one. He's the misguided one. He's the one person in the NBA that stood out there with a big pair and let him hang and try to be a voice to the voiceless. Try to tell people, hey, be careful with this vaccine. We're young, we're healthy, there's no reason for us to be taking this. But Kyrie's the stupid one. And again, what I'm about to say will sound like a personal attack. I don't dislike Stephen A. Smith. I get what he's doing. But this is what you do, and this is what you sound like when you've been bought and paid for. People love to talk about who's a sellout, who's a sellout, who's not a sellout, who keeps it real. That's what selling out looks and sounds like. And I say that because Stephen A. Smith is not a doctor. He's not a scientist. He's a sports pontificator that got on TV and blasted this young man about a vaccine that Stephen A. Smith does not know anything about. Stephen A. Smith can have his opinion, but to sit on TV and call this boy, this young man, stupid, Because uh, he's sitting there, hey, because Kyrie, I don't know what his religion is, but he's spiritual and believes in God and he believes in God's design. And so that level of intelligence led Kyrie Irving to believe, oh, I'm not putting this vaccine in my perfectly healthy young body. And Steve, uh, you're going to compromise a championship and not take the vaccine. You compromised your health. And a bunch of other people compromised their health taking a vaccine that now the CDC and everybody else says doesn't prevent COVID. It's virtually worthless. You compromised your health over that. Kyrie Irving didn't. He was brave. He was courageous. He was, if the rest of the NBA players had his balls and his courage, they all would have refused to take it. But everybody hopped on the coward train. And and we already know many of these athletes didn't take it. They got fake vaccine cards and all that, but they weren't man enough to stand on their own two feet and refuse to take it and try to be a voice for people in work, people that got ran out of their jobs because they wouldn't take this worthless vaccine. 
And I'm not talking about millionaire people that got ran out of their jobs. I'm talking about working class people living check to check that didn't want to take this vaccine. Kyrie tried to stand up for him and Stephen A. Smith is blasting. This is what selling out looks like. And y'all need to quit thinking that it's some certain color or, or it's uh, you got to be racist or you, you got to. Uh, oh, you got to be conservative to sell out. No, selling out is when they hand you a 12, 13 million dollar a year contract to say what you're told to say. That's what selling out is. And Stephen A. Smith sold out and he owes Kyrie Irving an apology and he needs to admit, hey, I didn't know what I was talking about. I was running my mouth because that's what they told me I had to do to collect this check. I do not dislike Stephen A. Smith. I dislike the way he handled this COVID conversation. Well, the whole conversation well above his pay grade and base of knowledge. Same applies for Mike Wilbon. And y'all know I like Mike Wilbon. And I respect Mike Wilbon. Completely out of pocket. We got a clip of him attacking Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving over this vaccine. Let's play it. Yeah, I don't get it. It just feels like at this point now, somebody's trying to make a statement or a point um, to flex their authority. Um, but, you know, everybody out here looking for attention, and that's what I feel like the, the mayor wants right now, some attention, you know. All right, Michael Wilbon, how do we react to that? Kevin Durant is too aware and too plugged in to say something that impertinent. What's the point of that? Want some attention? You want to call out somebody? Call out your teammate. Tell him to get a shot. Because he's got plenty of them because he couldn't have gone to grade school in metropolitan New York without vaccines. I mean, all these guys want to be so irresponsible and not accountable enough to look at this dude and tell him, you want to play with us? Get a sh Put a shot in your arm. The vaccine is not about attention. People died, hundreds of thousands of them, from this virus. And you, you think the mayor of New York needs to attend to a basketball team's needs, your needs, before he needs to attend to the needs of a metropolitan area, the biggest in America? Are you kidding me? I mean, Kevin, and again, Kevin Durant, there's some knuckleheads who would say stuff like this. I'd probably let it go. Kevin Durant is too smart and too plugged in. Everybody wants to tell you how woke they are. And then I got to hear something like that. That's offensive. Stop. You go on national TV, that's NBA countdown. That's got a nice audience, maybe a million viewers. Mike, you, you, you can't go on national TV and tell another man what to do with his body. You can't, you can't do it. That's completely out of pocket. We love to talk about who's pocket watching, who's counting somebody else's money. I got no problem with that. You want to sit up and gossip about somebody else's money? That's harmless. Going on TV and telling another man or woman what drugs they need to inject into their body from Big Pharma 
Are, are y'all kidding me? Big Pharma? That's in Big Pharma we trust now? Big Pharma, the drug companies, that's who we should trust on something they rushed through, not all the proper protocols that they rushed through. We're on TV telling another man to shoot something into his body. Y'all owe Kyrie Irving an apology. That's it and that's all. Go to youtube.com slash Jason Whitlock if you're listening on Apple or Spotify. Give me that five-star review. Hit them likes. Hit them subscribes. Give me that subscription. Tell your friends. Join the Fearless Army right now. Get all that Fearless Army swag and gear. All right, we'll talk to you next week.